0: We are unpacking our new vision and direction, and vision, it helps us focus on what we believe in. Uh, It gives us something to rally around and work towards. Um, Jesus sent his disciples into the world in the power of the Spirit, and basically told them to go change the world. And they did. The world has never been the same. And they went to the world with two central convictions. One is the gospel is real, and two, the gospel changes everything. Everything. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus rose from the dead. For the early church, that wasn't just some nice story. It was something that actually happened. And it was real. And it changes everything. The gospel has the power to change you and me. The gospel has the power to change the world. It's been doing that for 2,000 years. And it's easy for us in the church to assume these two convictions, but we can't assume them. We must hold firmly to them. We must rally around them. And so we put them on the wavy wall here (laughs) so that every time we gather, every time we come in here to worship, we are reminded the gospel is real and the gospel changes everything. And because the gospel is real and changes everything, there are eight directives that we will live by. And these eight directives will drive everything we do. Biblical obedience, Spirit-led, safe haven, meeting Jesus, transformed lives, missional impact, future-focused, ever-expanding. This morning, we're going to focus on the directive of meeting Jesus. Meeting Jesus, we are a place where unbelievers belong and come to faith in Jesus. You know, sometimes people need to belong before they believe. Everyone will be welcomed here regardless of where they are in life or what they believe. We want people to make friends here. Uh, For those of you who aren't sure about faith in Jesus, we want to be a space where you can wrestle with faith, to ask questions in a safe space, to express doubts in a safe space. Um, Through relationships and teaching, we will respectfully challenge those who do not believe to come to faith and be baptized. Uh, The passage this morning Comes from Mark chapter two, uh, verses thirteen to seventeen. Uh, go ahead and turn there in your Bibles or look it up on your phones. Uh, Mark is the second book in the New Testament. Uh, this passage is in the middle of a group of stories where Jesus is either questioned or criticized for something he does. Uh, in this case, it's for who he eats with. Our scripture reader this morning is Bill Hale. So, Bill, if you can make your way on up to the podium, as he does, I'm going to ask if you're able. Please stand and face the center of the room. Um, We stand because we believe this is the Word of God, and we read from the center of the room to remind us that Scripture is to be central in our lives. And so, Bill, whenever you are ready, please read from Mark chapter 2, verses 13 to 17.
1: Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law who were the Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked the disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It's not the healthy who need the doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous... But the sinners.
0: Bill, thank you very much. You may be seated. My first year of college, I attended a community college in Southern California, um, much like CSI here in town, Uh, and like most colleges, the first week, all the college clubs had tables in the main area of campus, recruiting students to join their clubs. Um, I wanted to get involved in student government, so I went to that table. Um, My mom encouraged me, she really wanted me, um, to check out any of the Christian clubs on campus. And so I went to the crew table back then. It was called Campus Crusade for Christ. Um, I went to the table, gave them my name. Uh, A few days later, um, a couple guys met with me and shared the Four Spiritual Laws. Um, The Four Spiritual Laws is like a pamphlet, a tract um, to lead people to faith. Um, They are basically, many of you, some of you are familiar with them. Um, One is God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Uh, Two is we sin and are separated from the love of God. Three is Jesus' death. And resurrection is God's provision for our sin. And four is we must each receive Jesus as our Savior and Lord. There is scripture and illustrations included. um, And they were very enthusiastic about sharing the four spiritual laws with me. And even though I grew up in the Catholic Church and had a good foundation in the Christian faith, um, I thought these two guys were crazy. They were way, way way, way over the top. Um, Now, at the same time, I really wasn't good at confrontation. So when they asked me to recite a prayer to receive Jesus, I just recited the prayer. I just gave it lip service. Um, I was just trying to get out of a socially awkward situation. Um, And so even though I thought that these guys were a little strange, um, I agreed to join a Bible study with them. And that Bible study was the beginning for me to belong. Um, I made friends. I could ask questions. They honestly cared about me. And eventually, after belonging for several months, I made a commitment of faith uh, from the heart. Now, if the guys who shared the four spiritual laws with me would have left me alone after I paid lip service to the prayer they were trying to get me to recite or to repeat, um, I don't know if I would have come to the faith. I would have had to find another group to belong to first. Um, You see, I needed to belong before I believed. And this, I believe, is true of most people. Belonging precedes believing. Um, If we're going to be a place where people meet Jesus, well, then we need to start out with the right goal. We need to have the same end game, if you will, as Jesus. Uh, I want us to begin at the end of the passage that uh, Bill just read, and I want to look at what Jesus' end game is. So if you go back to the last two verses Bill read, verses 16 and 17. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, Saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors. They asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Um, why does Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? Because he wants to call them into relationship with him. Um, I'm, leaving, I'm leading a Bible study on the Gospel of John on Wednesday nights, and every week, I remind everyone why John wrote his gospel. Uh, John did not write his gospel to give a biography of Jesus. John did not write his gospel to tell us about the cool miracles of Jesus. Uh, John tells us why he wrote the gospel. Uh, John chapter 20, verse 31. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John carefully crafted his gospel so that we may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, and have life in His name. Believe and have life. Those were His goals. Where did He get those goals from? See, John had the same end game as Jesus. Jesus wanted people to believe in Him as their Savior, He wanted people to have life that He came to give. Um, the end game is not to tell as many people about Jesus as possible. The end game is not. Doing as many good things for people in the name of Jesus as possible. Telling people about Jesus is a very big deal. It's not the end game. Doing good work for others in the name of Jesus is a very big deal. It is not the end game. The end game is for people to place their faith in Jesus for people to experience the life Jesus offers, for people to meet Jesus. We don't simply tell people about Jesus or do good things in the name of Jesus. We must introduce people to Jesus. And Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need need a doctor, it is the sick. The sick need a doctor. Well, let's just unpack that metaphor a little bit. Doctors spend a lot of time in training. It's not easy to become a doctor. And they know a lot. They know all about ailments. They know all about treatments. If you have this problem, here is a treatment. And I have high respect for doctors. Um, But sometimes it's easy for doctors to kind of, you know, treat patients the same sometimes. Because you have problem X, here's a solution for problem X. You have problem Y, here's a solution for problem Y. Um, They've seen the same symptoms over and over and over. They kind of know exactly what to do. You know, it's sort of like the old cliche. I have a headache, well, take two aspirin, call me in the morning. Um, Think about the times you've been sick enough to go to the doctor. In addition to having a doctor who is knowledgeable in their field, that is very important, um, we do prefer doctors who really listen to us. And don't just put us in the category of problem X or Y. We like it, When we feel like doctors treat us as individuals and not a one-size-fits-all kind of category, where they hear our concerns, ask us questions, we trust those doctors more. Now, I want to be clear. This is not a criticism against doctors. There are lots of doctors who are great listeners. But look, let's give them a break. When you're under the stress and pressure that they are under, you need to be as efficient as possible. And when you know what doctors know, it's easy to kind of jump ahead sometimes. The point here isn't to be critical of doctors. The point is to remind ourselves that if we prefer, if we prefer a doctor who's good at listening to us and then after listening carefully starts talking to us about our healing, well, if that's what we prefer, when it comes to reaching out to others in the name of Jesus, we should do the same. We should be good at listening and getting to know people. And so before we start talking about faith in Jesus, you know, we want people to believe in Jesus, to make Jesus their Savior and Lord, well, we can't just treat them like a one-size-fits-all kind of category. How do they need to experience Jesus? Do we know that? Um, How do they need to hear about Jesus? What hesitations do they have? What's going on in their lives? Now, We need to tell people, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Make Jesus your Lord and Savior. That is critical. But the goal isn't just to tell people. The goal is for people to actually meet Jesus. And everybody is different. There is no one-size-fits-all approach. So we have to be the kind of community that attracts others to stay with us long enough for us to make a proper introduction to Jesus. Now, if you go to the middle of our octagon, you will see Acts 2, verses 42, 47, that reference on the center tile in the octagon. After church, I expect to see like 50 people in the middle looking at it, okay? Um, Now, it was placed there, interestingly enough, October 12, 2003. On Tuesday, it will have been there for 18 years. And here's what Acts 2, 42 to 47 says. those who were being saved. God formed this great community that people kept coming to, and it says they enjoyed the favor of all the people, which means even people who weren't a part of the community thought it was a great community. So they started to become a part of it, and it says the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved, telling people about Jesus is vital, doing good things for others in the name of Jesus is vital. I'm going to talk about both those things in a second here, but we have to start with the end game in mind. And so a great question for us to remind ourselves is, do we understand the difference between telling people about Jesus and people meeting Jesus? Do we know what that looks like? So the end game is for people to meet Jesus, but in order to do that, we need to be able to talk about Jesus, to give an explanation of Jesus. You know, when Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need the doctor, but the sick, what is he talking about? And he says he has come to call the sinners, which sounds a little insulting, because we're the sinners. But looking back at the passage, if you go and glance again at verse 13, where it says, Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. What was Jesus teaching about? Why was there such a large crowd? What did people want to hear from Jesus? You know, it's very common for us to have encounters and experiences um, where they kind of take us off guard, and they're, you know, they're just kind of surprising. Something doesn't quite seem right. Um, you know, where something happens and you're like, hey, now what just happened here? What, what just happened? You know, you go to a restaurant, you order a cheeseburger, the server gets your order wrong and brings you a garden salad, like they're trying to send you a message or something. Or um, you arri- you're driving, you arrive at a four-way stop, okay? And someone who got to the four-way stop way, way before you waits to let you go first, Okay. And you're really confused. You're thinking, what? You you got here way before me. You want me to go? Okay, I guess I'll go. Okay, and there's that awkward hesitation. Or you're a cashier at a store, and somebody pays with cash. It's really odd. You know, you're like, hey, wait a minute. This isn't right. Don't you have a card or something? Uh, The other day, I bought something. It cost $2.26. $2.26. I gave the person $3.00 and a penny in cash. $3 and a penny in cash. The look on their face was precious. It was so much fun watching the cashier, trying to figure out what was going on. It was the picture of cognitive dissonance. It's like, what? Wait, $3? What's the penny for? What are you doing? Um, Now, for those of you who are asking the same questions as the cashier, why did you give $3 and a penny when it was $2.26? I wanted three quarters And not two quarters, two dimes, and four pennies. Okay, you understand what I was doing there? Um, I'm worried that way. Okay, every day we have encounters when things seem off. But if you really think about it, doesn't it always seem like there is something off? You know, if you really think about it, there's something wrong with the whole world as if the world isn't as it's supposed to be. Um, And whatever that is that's wrong with the whole world, it's everywhere, right? It's everywhere. You cannot escape it. It is everywhere. In fact, the thing that is wrong with the world has somehow found its way in all of us. Um, You know, where, do you ever feel like there's something not quite right with you, you know? Like, we are not exactly what we're supposed to be. Uh, We're not exactly what we could be. The Bible calls that thing that is wrong within each of us, the thing that is wrong with the world, the Bible simply calls that sin. And not being what we were meant to be is what makes us sinners, And so large crowds come to Jesus because he claimed to be the solution to what is wrong with the world, the solution to what's wrong with us, the solution to sin. And we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the Son of God, God in the flesh. And because Jesus is all these things, he can fix us and the world And as I was told in my college encounter with Crew, Jesus is God's provision for sin. And Jesus also loves us so much that he died for us, is merciful and gracious. Jesus heals, Jesus redeems, Jesus testifies to the truth. And Jesus isn't some superstar who's too good for us. He is intensely interested in us, wants to make a dramatic impact in our lives to save us from what is wrong with us and the world. He wants to be a part of our lives. It's why he ate with the sinners and tax collectors. It's the gospel. It's the good news. Jesus died for our sin. Jesus rose from the dead. It all begins with a simple act of, of faith. As it says in Romans 10, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And that's how faith in Jesus begins. Declaring he is Lord, believing in our heart God raised him from the dead. And with that simple act of faith, salvation comes. People need to hear about Jesus, and people need to encounter Jesus. They need to experience Jesus. And while we don't necessarily need to talk about Jesus all the time, sometimes we need to be strategic in our timing, um, every time someone encounters us, they should experience what Jesus is like. Going back to the passage one more time, verses 14 and 15, where it says, As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Now, how cool would it be to hang out with Jesus in the flesh? Not just because we could ask him all sorts of questions, but because hanging out with him seemed to be transformational. And in Jesus' day, there were certain people you didn't eat with. For the Pharisees, you did not eat with sinners and tax collectors. Um, But Jesus liked people. (laughs) Jesus liked eating with people. Jesus liked going to people's homes. Jesus liked spending time with people, even outcasts. And because Jesus liked people, people liked him. There were many, it says, who followed him. And we can't hang out with Jesus in the flesh today. So how are people going to experience Jesus today? What was Jesus' plan for people to experience him after he ascended into heaven? 1 Corinthians 12 says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And Paul is speaking to the church. The church is the body of Christ. Now, here's a thought that should spook you a little bit. I know it spooks me when I think about it. We are the closest thing to hanging out with Jesus. The body of Christ, the church, us. We are the closest thing to hanging out with Jesus. How are we doing with that? (laughs) We are called to be the body of Christ So that means it doesn't matter if you're a follower of Jesus or not. Whether you believe or not, TFRC, we want to be a place that you experience the love of Jesus. We want to be a place that is merciful and gracious. We want to be a place that heals. We want to be a place that redeems. We want to be a place that testifies to the truth. Um, In your experience with TFRC, which of these five things do you tend to experience most? And which of these five things do you tend to experience least? Now, why do people who aren't followers of Jesus come to church? Do they come because they want to be judged? No, they come because they need to experience either love or grace or mercy or healing or redemption or truth. And sometimes people come to TFRC because their lives are kind of upside down in the moment and they're looking for something. To help them. Um, What would be great for them is an encounter with the body of Christ which would be a lot like encountering Jesus himself. That would be really great for them. It's no secret. It's no secret that the church in the United States has a bad reputation with many. We are known for being judgmental and not loving. Uh, But do you remember Leland's story from the video? I hope so, because it wasn't that long ago. Okay, remember Leland's story from the video? And remember what his expectation of his uncle was? The uncle who was never nice to him? He was expecting that when his uncle came to visit him in jail, that his uncle was going to rip into him. That was his expectation. Instead, his uncle was encouraging to him. And when his uncle was encouraging to him, that completely changed, he was ready to go with both barrels to completely disarmed. It made all the difference for his faith. Now, I tend to look at the fact that many people have a negative view of the church. That is a great opportunity for us It's a great opportunity for us. Imagine someone comes to TFRC expecting a negative judgmental experience and instead they experience mercy and grace and love and healing and redemption and truth. Imagine the opportunities we have every time someone new comes to TFRC. By the way, we identify three to five new households every week here at TFRC. Three to five new households every week. God blesses us every week with new people coming. Every week, we have an opportunity to give people a positive experience of Jesus. Imagine, just imagine, how many people's view of faith and church could be altered because of how we reflect Jesus On Sunday mornings, not to mention all throughout the week. Now, in order to become a place that emphasizes meeting Jesus, um, we are re-looking at how we do various ministries here, our different programming stuff. And one thing that we are going to be trying new here, in order to emphasize the meeting Jesus directive more, is we just want to offer our connections and membership classes more often. We historically have had them twice a year. Now we are going to offer one or the other every month, because we just want to get ch- want to take every chance we can to get to know as many people as we can who come here as quickly, as, as often as we can. As I said earlier, um, our membership class begins next week. Uh, but here are the questions I want all of us to be asking, both for ourselves. Um, but also for maybe um, for those who church and faith are maybe new experiences. Um, when it comes to meeting Jesus and belonging, uh, do you have friends here? Do you have friends here? Um, in the sense of feeling welcome, do you feel safe here? In wrestling with faith, uh, can you ask questions here? Can you express doubts here? And when it comes to believing, do you feel challenged To trust Jesus here. Sometimes we have to belong before we can believe. Please pray with me. And Lord, I do uh, thank you for this community of faith and in all the ways that it reflects um, the life and spirit of Jesus. And Lord, I would ask um, that anyone who is here and maybe isn't a follower of you, that your spirit would work in in their heart um, and just help them take whatever that next step might look like in just taking one step closer to trusting in you. Lord, we thank you for your love and mercy and grace to each of us. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.